can't help but chuckle a little bit when I read that passage about the, the almsgiving, the giving to the needy, and you can picture the Pharisees stepping out in their giant you know, robes and garb, and they've got their servants next to them blowing trumpets. I am giving my money to this poor man. They have received their reward in full. What they wanted was people to look at them. And they got that. God gave them their reward. He had so much more for them, but they wanted something lesser. We can get a little uncomfortable with this system of rewards as seen in Scripture sometimes. We think God has given us so much already. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his one and only Son. How could he give me more? Why would he give me more? We look at James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God has given us so much. How can we expect a reward for good deeds? How can we expect him to give us something for doing what we should have done anyway? We get concerned with this, thinking maybe about this, this idea of a works-based salvation. James 2 talks about this. Ephesians 2 talks about this. We get concerned thinking about the idea that we could be rewarded for our good deeds. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. The Bible tells me I won't be saved by my works. Why does God want to reward me for my good works? But this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's kingdom initiative. It starts with this. God loves us. John 16, 27 says, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It starts there. The God of all creation, the Father of heavenly lights, loves you. And then from there, that love, he calls us his children. 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God loves us. He adopts us and calls us his children. Then God confirms that we are his children and calls us his heirs. Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You are heirs to every promise in the Old Testament, every promise in the New, every promise of Scripture. Co-heirs with Christ. Not only does God call us his children and call us then his heirs, but God then says that he gives good gifts to his children. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? He wants to give you good gifts as your child, if you ask. And then Jesus tells us to take those good gifts and to store them up 
Matthew 6.20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus tells us that God rewards us for good works done properly. Your Father, who is unseen, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It can be uncomfortable to think that we will receive some sort of rewards or gifts from a God who has given us so much already, but it is a part of his loving plan. One of the most disrespectful and difficult things, disrespectful for the receiver and difficult for the, gift, for the giver, is for your gift to be rejected. Have you ever had a gift rejected? You've tried to give somebody something and they said, no, thank you. I remember when we were first traveling to Mexico in missions, when we were, I was in high school at the time, and our, our, our guides our, our, would, would tell us, the leaders of our trip would tell us, if you're offered food at a house, do not reject it. You cannot reject it. That is the most disrespectful thing you can do. And so when they gave us a full fish with the eyes in it and everything, we ate the fish. <laughs> because that was what we were given. It was a gift. And it would have been shaming the giver to say, no, I don't want that. When we say, no, I don't deserve that, God, we are shaming the giver. But we can only receive these gifts by faith. God does everything. Everything is through God's grace. We are supported and upheld by the righteous right hand of our Father. We survive and float and live on an ocean of His grace. But our step is made in faith. By grace, through faith. Our responsibility is our faith. Inspired and upheld and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 11 talks about faith in action. By faith, Abel bought, brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Sarah had children, even though she was past childbearing age. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac, his only son. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed his sons. By faith, Joseph spoke about the Exodus. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle. They routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released that they might gain an even better resurrection. They faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went out in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. By faith, the heroes of Scripture acted by faith. 
no different than me and you. They just trusted God by faith, by faith, by faith. And they were able to leave, they were able to believe, they were able to have this faith because of two things. Number one, they saw the invisible God. They saw him who is unseen. With the eyes of faith, they saw God. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. They saw the invisible God. And number two, they saw themselves as foreigners and strangers on earth. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Hebrews eleven thirteen, Just sojourners. Just passing through. In James 4, 14, we read, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In Psalm 39, 5 and 6, You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth, knowing not whose it will finally be. Psalm 144, 3 and 4. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. We are here but for a moment. When you're going on vacation, Rachel and I will be traveling to Florida in a few weeks for a, a little family vacation this summer. If I live in Massachusetts and I travel to Florida, I don't buy nice things from my hotel room. I don't decorate the cabin of the plane where I'm sitting while I'm flying to make it feel more like home. I know it's temporary. I know I'm passing through. I'm not buying new furniture from my hotel room. I'm not storing up treasure in my hotel room or my Airbnb. We're just sojourners. We're passing through. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no man can boast. The next verse, the very next verse, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved by our works, but our works are evidence of our faith. What we do is evidence of what we believe. And those good works are the treasures that we store up in heaven. There are two ways to store up treasures in heaven. To do good works for human flourishing and bringing about the goodness of the, of the broken world, healing and mending this broken world, mending the tearing quilt, and then to bring others into relationship, to lead others into relationship with Jesus, to share your faith with the Lord. Good works and evangelism. I want to talk about those both a little bit more in detail. Michael Frost wrote a wonderful book called Surprise the World. Has anyone read Surprise the World? All right, that's your book recommendation. It's on Amazon for less than $10, and it is less than 100 pages. My favorite books are all less than 100 pages. I really, I'm, I read a lot, but I don't like reading, so I love short books. So, Michael Frost, Surprise the World, it's a wonderful book. 
And he says that, he makes an interesting point that I've been researching a bit for the last few weeks. Michael Frost says that not all Christians are evangelists. That evangelism, to be an evangelist, is a spiritual gift given to some. We read that in, where'd I put it? Preach the word, Ephesians 5. So Christ gave himself, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up, the body of Christ may be built up. <clears throat> that we are not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be evangelistic, if that makes sense. I'll explain it a little bit more. But first, building up treasures in heaven by doing good works. Frost says that there are four categories of good works that we can act in. The first is acts of reconciliation. A restoration of right relations between people and between people groups. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, there, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is concerned with reconciliation. Jesus is concerned with good relations between his people. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him who is Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We are called to be peacemakers in Jesus. And so that first good work, that first act that you can do is to reconcile. You can reconcile with the people that you have enemy or strife with in your own life. You can help others reconcile who are... Uh, divided between themselves, especially those within the family of God. And you can help in restoring reconciliation between people groups. The second is acts of justice. The quality of being just. Justice is the quality of being just, righteous, equitableness, or moral rightness. Justice is about equity. Equity is about fairness. There is enough food in the world. No one should go hungry. That's not equitable, that's not fair, that's not just. So justice is giving food to the hungry. In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, justice. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink, justice. I was a stranger and you invited me in, justice. I needed clothes, and you clothed me, justice. I was sick, and you looked after me, justice. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Acts of reconciliation, bringing together people who are divided. Acts of justice, restoring equity, restoring fairness, giving to those in need. 
The third is acts of beauty. God is the author of all beauty, and we are made in his image. He is a creator, and we are made in the image of the creator. And so when we bring beauty into the world, we echo our creator. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, heart, in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. When you bring beauty into the world, you give people a chance to be moved from outside of themselves. Beauty takes you outside yourself. If you step at the edge of the Grand Canyon, when you're standing on that edge, when you see a beautiful sunrise, when you stand at the edge of the water in the moonlight, you step outside of yourself for a moment and you recognize the power and the grace and the kingdom created around you. And you say, look how small I am. And beauty helps us recognize the grace and grandness of God, the peace and power of God, and how small we are in the face of it. Acts of reconciliation, acts of justice, acts of beauty, and finally, acts of wholeness, restoring those who are broken, restoring the torn down, restoring those in need of restoration. Jesus brought healing to the sick, sight to the blind, strength to the lame, and even life to the dead. He is in the process of making all things new. He is active in the work of redemption and calls us to be agents of redemption in his kingdom. God is intent on human flourishing. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Life in Jesus is life to the full. Life in Jesus is a flourishing life. So the first way to store up treasures in heaven is by doing the good works that God destined for you to do before time began. And those good works are acts of reconciliation, acts of justice, acts of beauty, and acts of wholeness. But the other way to store up treasures for yourselves in heaven is through evangelism. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. In Acts 1, 7, and 8, we read that at a time previous to his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think that sometimes when we look at these verses, we get stuck on two things. Number one, we get stuck on the word go. If you are going to be an evangelist, you have to leave the United States and go to the unreached people groups and go to people in other nations and you need to bring them to Christ. But when Jesus said this to them, he said that they would have power from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, they were a Sabbath day's walk from Jerusalem. A Sabbath day's walk is about a kilometer five-eighths of a mile. This was their neighborhood. They were called to go to their neighborhood, to go to Jerusalem. 
and look at where Judea and Samaria are. Jerusalem is their town, Judea is their county, Samaria is the next county over. They were called to be his witnesses right where they were. Yes to the ends of the earth, that is part of it. But it starts right here where God has placed you. God has put you right here for a reason and for such a time as this. They were a Sabbath day's walk from Jerusalem. And they were told to minister in Jerusalem, to evangelize in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. He didn't say immediately leave. There are people outside who need you. He said to bring all nations to Christ, to be his witnesses to all nations. But then in Acts 2.5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven was present in Jerusalem, and those were the first to receive the Holy Spirit and to know Jesus, to meet him there in that evangelistic moment at Pentecost. Every nation is present here in Lynn, right outside your doorstep. Every nation is right here. If you are called to go, if the Lord places that on your heart and clearly says go, go. But do not forsake your duty right here in your neighborhood. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. Acts 8.4 Evangelism is a spiritual gift and there are evangelists who can train us and teach us in how to share the good news of God. But Michael Frost claims, and I tend to agree with him, that not everyone is is an evangelist, but everyone is called to be evangelistic. And that's because when we do those acts of reconciliation, those acts of justice, those acts of beauty, those acts of wholeness, that opens up opportunities for gospel conversations. Why do you care if me and my sister get along? Why do you care that I don't have food, that I don't have clothing, that I don't have a place to live? I don't know you from Adam. Why does that impact you? Why are you making an effort to impact me? Gospel conversation. Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says, Speak to a friend about his soul. Your loving appeal will have far more influence than a whole library of tracts. Speak to a friend about his soul. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of, your, of their slander. When they ask you, answer. Be prepared to give an answer. But don't just stop there. Give them a reason to ask. Love your neighbor. If we are living self-sacrificial lives of loving neighbors, of loving friends, of loving strangers, of loving enemies, then that opens up the door for them to ask, why? I don't know you. Why do you love me? Why are you going out of your way? And that 
is where, though perhaps not an evangelist, you can be evangelistic and you can share the good news of Jesus Christ. For a long time, the church got this wrong and we were so, so dead set focused on conversion. How many people raised their hand to accept Jesus last night? We had 30 people raise their hand to accept Jesus. We had 100 people raise their hand to accept Jesus. And we would celebrate those moments of raising their hand to accept Jesus, and then no discipleship would happen. Those people would be sent out on their own to try to figure it out. But he doesn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And discipleship is painstaking and slow. It's the rolling of the stones on the beach, slowly and slowly turning into sand. It's step by step, conversation by conversation, act of grace by act of grace, moment by moment, of loving those put in your pathway, of loving those in your neighborhood, of walking through the hard things with people, of carrying people's burdens. That's where discipleship happens. The step by step of one-on-one relationship of being committed and faithful and walking with people in the hardship. That's where our discipleship happens. The moment of conversion, the moment of prayer, that's something to celebrate. But it needs to be fostered. The seed was scattered all over. And 75% of it was eaten up by birds and choked out by weeds and burned away by the sun and had no roots because it hadn't been cared for. It hadn't been watered. It hadn't been shielded from the scorching sun. Discipleship requires patience, step by step. And patience is one of my favorite qualities of God. God is unrelentingly, tenaciously patient with us. He is unrelentingly and tenaciously patient with his people. Just read the Old Testament and look how many times Israelites screwed up. Moses brings them out of the desert. The ten amazing plagues The sea splits in two when they walk across on dry land. The rock cracks open and water pours out. Manna is dropped on the ground. Quail fly in from everywhere when they're hungry. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. 40 days. And they say, as for this guy Moses, we don't know what the heck happened to him. Make us a god. Make us something we can worship. And Aaron said, sure, let's make a God, because I don't know where Moses is either. Forty days, and they forgot everything. Aren't we so fickle? But God is so patient that he didn't give up, that when the tablets broke, when the Ten Commandments cracked in half, he made a new Ten Commandments. He made a new tablets to give to Moses. He inscribed them again. God shouldn't have to inscribe something a second time. How disrespectful to our Father to say, you need to do this again for me. He did it once. He is the creator of all things. He is perfect and powerful. And we don't even deserve for him to interact with us. 
And yet, he patiently, unrelentingly, and tenacious patience, he walks with us step by step. As we say, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. Yeah, this time I think I will. No thank you. I don't, uh, I'm not sure. Over and over, we run away, and over and over, he stands there with arms wide open. And in doing so, in our discipleship, our discipleship needs to be just as patient as God is with us. Charles Spurgeon says, Never must we cease to pray until they cease to breathe. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives. And in Isaiah 62, I love this verse. It says, You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of all the earth. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give God no rest from your crying out to him. Keep knocking on the door until he answers. Keep praying. God, bring my brother to Christ. God, bring my father to Christ. God, bring my children to Christ. Let them know you. Let my neighbors know you. Let your kingdom come in Lynn on Western Ave. Let your kingdom come in my family. God, crying out over and over and over, giving yourself no rest and giving him no rest until he answers. When God remade that, those second tablets of the Ten Commandments, he, he called himself by name when he gave them to Moses. And this is the name he said. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Compassionate, gracious, patiently slow to anger, abounding, overflowing in love and faithfulness, forgiving and maintaining that love to thousands. And that's repeated throughout Scripture. In Numbers 14, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Nehemiah 9:17, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 86:15, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Joel 2:13 says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. And Jonah 4.2 says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Over and over and over in Scripture, we read that God is slow to anger. He is patient, unrelentingly and tenaciously patient with his people. And he is overflowing with love and faithfulness. Jesus calls us, to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, not here on earth. You can't take it with you, so send it ahead. Randy Alcorn has this book called the, the, the Treasure Principle. And he says, you can't take it with you, so send it ahead. Be generous with what you have. Acts of reconciliation, acts of justice, acts of beauty, acts of wholeness, and doing so in such a way and with such love 
1 Corinthians tells us to do everything with love. Do everything with love. When we do these acts with love, we open up space for gospel conversations. And we open up an opportunity to lead others into the love that set us free. So go out and be rewarded by your Father who wants to reward you. Go store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do the hard work of reconciliation, justice, beauty, and wholeness. Good works motivated by faith in an invisible God. And share the love of Jesus by having gospel conversations with those God has placed in your life. Your mission field is right where you are. Go lay down your burdens at the foot of the cross and walk with Jesus to bring others into the freedom that you've found. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you want to give good gifts to your children. You want to reward our good works done in faith. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspires our faith. Thank you for Jesus who is the perfecter and the pioneer of our faith. Thank you for the God who loves us, the Father himself who loves us and gives us grace beyond measure. May we act according to your will right where we are. And may we trust you and rest on your patience, knowing that you have called us to good works in you from before time began. Thank you, Jesus, in your name.